0: What's going on? It's the Away Days Pod back in better than ever. Lay joining me once again from the Gramps' house. Lay, how we doing after a big, big weekend for the Tigers down down in Jordan hare we'll, we'll hold off on the analysis there, but uh, but I'm assuming you had a pretty good weekend, that uh...
1: Yeah, oh yeah. I mean, I'm I'm feeling pretty good about it. It went about as well as I could have hoped. So yeah, big weekend for me of doing nothing but watching football. How was yours? Yeah.
0: Same same as well. I actually had a nice off weekend. Um didn't didn't go to, down to Jacksonville to watch the dogs although they got it done. But yeah, I had a I had a nice chill weekend. Just sat down, was able to watch college football basically all Saturday. Got up early, watched Arsenal in the morning, which I'm super excited to to talk some gunners here uh a bit later on in the pod. But you talk about like not going, you know, couldn't ask for, for things going any better. Really both both of our teams, Auburn getting the job done and so did Georgia. But I want to start first in the big 10 which i think is a first for the pod because we usually um (laughs) definitely lean towards our sec bias here but the biggest games of the weekend coming from there jim harbaugh choking again number six michigan falls to michigan state who were underdogs at home in this game but let's be fair i think michigan state kind of showed that they're a better team maybe than some thought going into this um but michigan up by two possessions two different times in the game um and Harbaugh's record against rivals—I know what it is off the top of my head, late—but if you, unless you already know it, I'm curious to what your guess would be. Um, Harbaugh's record in whatever it is—six seasons against Michigan and Ohio
1: State. This is just against rivals, <clears throat> not against like top-ranked teams.
0: Yeah, this is just his record against Michigan State and Ohio State
1: over the course of how many years has he been there now? Well, I think this is like his sixth, but don't—that's
0: not the point though. Okay, have, okay. A, have a go. have
1: a go. I would say he's like four and twelve. Okay,
0: not that quite many, not quite that many years, but you're on the right track there. Three and nine.
1: Okay, so, yeah, that's a bit yeah,
0: really, really rough go for Harbaugh, and I can't say I'm disappointed. I, I, I quite enjoy a Harbaugh disappointment, um, but I watched a lot of this game. Um, both teams are uh, going into it. I mean, the over under was set at like 50 and a half, 51. So people are expecting a lower scoring game because both teams up to this point in the season have shown that they really need to run the ball well Kenneth Walker Michigan State a Heisman favorite definitely kind of cementing his place as one of the as a potential Heisman candidate after this win I think he scored all all five of Michigan State's touchdowns yeah. um so but yeah coming into a Michigan uh, we we thought of them as a team too that again that needs to run the ball uh, to succeed but they just came out and both offenses were on it from the get-go um, both quarterbacks playing really well. Um, and points galore in that first half, especially. Um, but I'm just curious, Laith, was there any part of that that surprised you? Did, I don't. Obviously, we didn't make picks last week because we didn't actually do any preparation. So would, coming into this, did you think Michigan State was going to get it done or what did you expect from this one?
1: No, I, uh, I actually thought Michigan would hold on to this one just because I thought that they were, I guess, farther removed from having a bad season. You know, Michigan State had been really bad the past couple years uh, and this was kind of like a building back year. I didn't expect them to get it done so quickly. But the main thing that surprised me was actually, uh, on the other side, uh, Cade McNamara's play, run for 383 yards. You know, this was a Michigan team that I think early on I talked about how it was kind of similar or how I felt it was similar to that 2017 Georgia team that just ran the ball a ton and really didn't require much from their quarterback. But he was put in a situation where Michigan State kind of stopped the ball running game earlier and he made some throws that I thought were pretty impressive, despite the loss.
0: Yeah, McNamara's stats looking at him. 28 for 44, or 28 of 44, 383 yards, two touchdowns and one interception. I will add that one of those, one play contributed quite a lot True. to that stat line. It was like an 80 or maybe even a 90-something yard 96, touchdown. 96,
1: I think, or 93. Yeah,
0: um, which definitely hurt. I had the under in this game, which never stood <laughs> a chance. Yeah. Um, with, let's see, that's 23, 27, 37 points scored in the first half. So, yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that play aside, still throwing for just about 300 yards, even if you remove that that play. So, he definitely looked really good. And you're right. I think if you'd have told me going into this game that McNamara would have that game, like that sort of, sort of performance, I would have thought no way they lose because I thought that was kind of the their only real weakness coming into it, is like, when put on Cade McNamara's shoulders, could he win them a game? And the offense, I mean – In college football, 33 points isn't a ton, but I think in most games, especially a Michigan team that prides itself on playing some some good defense too, like if you'd have told them going into the game they're going to score 33, they'd have expected to win. So I guess this loss is more on that defense. But give a lot of credit to Michigan State too. You know, first time college game day has been there in God knows how long. Um, This is really their first big game of the season. I mean, prior to that, I think, you know, they had matchups against – Nebraska, and they beat Miami on the road early in the year, but neither of those wins, you know, really look good at this point. But this is their first real test at home, and they took care of business and and beat, you know, got another one over over the rivals who they've really handled the past few years. I mean, that record that we t- talked about off the top is kind of speaking for itself. But, um, but yeah, Michigan State. I will say this though: Does this actually change the way you think about Michigan State, like as a whole? I think. I think we're probably both pretty solidly on the Ohio State is the best team in the Big Ten kind of – I think is. I mean, that's what I'm thinking anyway.
1: Yeah, I, I think this Michigan State team is better than I expected, but I don't think they're in a place where they can compete with kind of the big four, if you get what I'm saying. So I, I would agree with you there. I think Ohio State is still kind of the crown of this conference.
0: Well, they'll get a chance to, to prove it on paper – Michigan State do up travel to Purdue next week. Only given three points there. Michigan State only three point favorites at Purdue. I know Purdue's coming off a win against what was number two Iowa at the time, but Iowa has shown <laughs> that they were completely false. If if like that's that's honestly just the perfect word for them. Like whatever we saw from Iowa against Penn State and against teams early in the season was just that's not the real Iowa. As they get spanked. Um, Against, uh, let's see if we can find, the, find that game here. Um, where is that? I've got the entire slate in front of me, and I can't find Iowa.
1: 27 7, Iowa, Wisconsin.
0: Yeah. Yeah. This is, that's so strange. okay, here it is. Yeah, 27 7 against Wisconsin. Again, Iowa were underdogs in that game, but. Finally, time to just shut the book on Iowa. If you hadn't already, I, as a selfish Georgia fan, hoping for Georgia to face a an easy Big Ten team in the champion in the playoffs. I was kind of hoping that Iowa would would make it there, but that's just too much to too much to ask for. But a team that Georgia is perhaps more likely, and you know, not even perhaps, definitely more likely. But it's kind of up between them and Michigan State. Number three, Ohio State hangs on at home against Penn State. Not a convincing win, but again. At this point in the season for Ohio State, style points don't really matter because they've got the rest of the the rest of their schedule is basically going to prove whether they're legit or not. They've got Michigan State and Michigan in their final two weeks to in the season. But the Buckeyes winning 33-24. Again, Penn State, I think we're close to 20-point underdogs and end up only losing by nine. So, you know, if you had the Nittany Lions feeling pretty good there. But what were your thoughts on that game and, you know, does this – I think we agreed that the Michigan State, we're not you know, drinking the Michigan State Kool-Aid quite yet, but are you cooled off a little bit on this Ohio State team and an offense that, again, 33 is a solid amount of points, but against a Penn State team that had been you know, prone to giving up some points, and I can see that loss to this Iowa team that we saw really underperform. So thoughts on Ohio State after this one?
1: Yeah, you know, Penn State, you're right, they have been giving up some points, but the defense has some elite playmakers on it, and they had made some plays in some games like the Auburn game before and some other ones So I think going into it, I expected a little bit lower score on Ohio State's end. But, uh, you know, Ohio State, it's still kind of the same deal. I think the offense is just elite. It's almost – it's kind of the exact opposite of the Georgia right now. The the offense is elite for Ohio State, and then the defense just, you know, just scraping by, but enough to get it done.
0: I would – I hope you're not saying the Georgia offense is scraping by. We'll get to the dogs (laughs) in a second, but – they're doing a little bit more than scraping I would I would say but um, but this this brings up a point though we're talking about Ohio State. So the college football playoff rankings first ones come out tomorrow night and I was actually I was worried it was Monday night because I really wanted to have this pod um, get it out in time for what five listeners we have to hear this discussion because um, this is a discussion I really wanted to have prior to the playoff coming out. So looking at Ohio State, obviously your only loss is to Oregon. Um, much earlier in the season. I think everybody would agree that Ohio State has looked much better since then. Um, I hate the phrase, like, oh, they're a different team, but they're certainly playing better you know, than, than that Oregon result showed. But then on the other side, this Oregon team, again, only one loss, albeit a much worse loss to a Stanford squad. But at this point, Oregon is the top team in the Pac-12 They're going to be favored in every game remaining on their schedule. They travel to Washington, then get Washington State at home. At Utah, is probably the only tough potential matchup left on their schedule, then home against Oregon State, which Oregon State has been a bit stronger than I think a lot of people expected this season. But my point is, we're really looking at a strong potential that both of these teams win out. You're looking at a... Big Ten champion Ohio State with one loss. A Pac-12 champion Oregon with one loss with the head-to-head over Ohio State. Now, without getting your take about what ifs could happen down the road, but with that potential, how important do you think their order in this first college football playoff ranking is? Because going off of past seasons, you know, if you start high and don't lose, it's pretty hard to drop down in the playoff rankings. Whereas, you know, you know, it's going to take – the whoever starts below, you know, sometimes needs somebody ahead of them to lose. But, like, you got to think that whoever starts higher, if they don't lose, they probably don't drop down. And I'm just curious what, what you think – how important do you think this first college football playoff ranking is specifically for Oregon and Ohio State?
1: I think it's really important because, like you said, it kind of becomes the precedent of how they measure it in the coming weeks. You know, Oregon has the head-to-head, but let's say they both went out uh, Ohio state's going to have a better resume at that point. Cause they'll play better or they're in a better conference. So I think that if Ohio state is ranked above them this week, and then both teams continue to week to win out, then Ohio state's going to be in that spot uh, at the end of the season. Uh, and that's, that's going to be tough because Oregon getting the head to head, there's going to be an argument there, but we've seen, uh, stuff in the past where there were even undefeated teams that like you felt that weren't as good because they didn't have the, uh, the resume of some other teams, uh, and they still made it. I'm talking about Notre Dame, yes. So this week is going to be really telling. I could see them going either way with this ranking. Well,
0: I want to make the case here for why Oregon should be higher, and I think, therefore, should be higher at the end of the year should both teams go undefeated, because Oregon, looking across their schedule, yes, literally the only good win they have is against Ohio State. I mean, you got to win... Over Fresno State, Stony Brook, who I thought only played basketball, I didn't even know had a football team. Um, blowout wins over Arizona, who's awful. A loss against Stanford. Close win over Cal, who is not a good team. Close win over UCLA, who is, I mean, hovering at 500 right now. Um, big win over Colorado last week, but that Ohio State win is probably the best win in college football. I think at this point among teams that are contending for a top four spot. I mean. I hate to to admit that, but like Georgia, as strong as their strength of schedule has been so far this season, I don't think there's one individual win that on paper right now is better than beating Ohio State. I don't think anybody ranked currently ranked in the AP top ten has a win over another team that's in, currently in the AP top ten. Um, let me—that might be completely wrong, so I'm going to pull up this ball <laughs> really fast. But, but your thoughts on 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 Oregon having the the best win? In the country. Because, yeah, okay, going across it, yes, Michigan State has the win over Michigan, who only dropped to nine. But again, that having happened last week, Oregon currently does have the best win. Again, like, because one Georgia, two Cincinnati, three Bama, four Oklahoma, five Michigan State, six Ohio State, and seven Oregon. So even even the AP poll actually has Ohio State ranked higher. But we've seen the Cultural Playoff Committee differ from the AP poll um, in the past. But So, final way I'll ask this question: Let's say they both do go undefeated. How much does the head-to-head matter to you? Would you rank an Oregon squad that wins the Pac-12 championship, only losses to Stanford, is that head-to-head enough for them? Enough for you to put Oregon above Ohio State? Because I think it would be for me.
1: Uh, I think that, you know, when it comes down to me, as I look at it and I think, who is the better team? Who would be? Who would win the head-to-head if you put them up now? And I know there's not much to back that up, and you really can't say anything. It's really just what your thoughts are and just looking at them from that point on. But if I were to go into that scenario, I think I would still go with Ohio State despite the Oregon winning the head-to-head, just because I feel like if that's the case, I'm looking at Ohio State, and I know you hate the the new team mantra, but I think looking at that, I would expect them to win that game.
0: Yeah. Well, it's the classic debate in the playoff, which is, you know, deserving yeah. versus i test the best team, you know, because yeah. no doubt about it, Oregon would deserve it. Yeah. They played on the field and they beat them, you know, and I think Oregon fans would have a very good right to to burn some, burn some, you know, cars, riot, whatever people do in, in Eugene, Oregon. I don't know. But t- speaking of that, do you actually see the literal riots going on in East Lansing after the win? No, I did not. <laughs> like, cars getting turned over, people breaking windshields, like, you just won, folks, like, you know... I'd say act like you've been there before but you've beaten Michigan like plenty of times yeah. recently. This should not be a this should not be a shock to you guys. But anyway, Oregon will have played them on the field and beaten them. And as weird as you kind of feel saying like, "Ah, I know there's not much to prove, but I just think they'd be a better team." I don't necessarily disagree that if they played again that Ohio State would win, but I just don't see how you can't reward o- Oregon for actually beating them on the field. Like I that's just that would be enough for me, but that's going to be a point yeah. of contention if if things go the way. Now the playoff has its way of working things out. Mm-hmm. There's a very good chance one of them loses, especially Ohio State, who has the tougher schedule going in. I mean, again, having to play Michigan State and Michigan um, to wrap up the year, but but again, things could could very much work themselves out here. Um, but moving on to the SEC, kind of talks about it off the top. I'll start with, with my dogs, and we'll go a little bit more in-depth with the Auburn Ole Miss game because I actually watched just about all of that game. But first, number one Georgia easily handling Florida 34-7. to I want to get a neutral take here from you, though, Laith. You, you mentioned talking about Georgia's offense indirectly referring to them by the word scraping by. <laughs> so they were outgained by Florida in this game by exactly one yard, which does that really matter? No but it's kind of an indicator of like yes the offense did not play very well at least they didn't play to the level that a 34 to 7 scoreline would insinuate obviously a defensive touchdown in there um, good good field position set up by turnovers created by that defense but word on the on the street is from from people i actually still have some connections to inside the uh, inside the Georgia athletic department or at least people who who covered the team and follow it closely Stetson Bennett, or excuse me, JT Daniels, who did not start. Stetson Bennett started over him. JT Daniels was evidently healthy enough to play if needed and not even necessarily like an emergency status. Like I think had this been a bigger game, maybe we would have seen JT play, but the fact that they stuck with Stetson even when JT could play, I'm not sure what that says about where, if there's now actually a legitimate, court, legitimate quarterback battle, and I'm not really here to have that discussion. But from a neutral perspective, Laith, what do you make of this Georgia offense? And from what you've seen, do you, I guess, do, do you settle on that scraping? Was that just something that you that you said, or do you actually think that, that Georgia's offense is completely reliant on the defense to actually win these bigger games?
1: no i don't think it's completely reliant i was mainly just referencing that in terms of ohio state's defense and just the similarities in how they play um, but i do i do think this is a slightly above average offense um, and you know because i mean 3 3 of those touchdowns in 2 minutes all basically attribute all of those to the defense i mean that's that's 21 points so looking at that and then seeing uh, Stetson Bennett only passed for 161 yards in a in a game where you'd like to see him be a little bit better in that regard and and also throwing two interceptions himself. Uh, now And they were bad interceptions.
0: Yeah. They were they were both just complete like hands in the air like what are you doing kid? Like mm-hmm. did not throwing into double coverage that sort of thing. But
1: yeah, so and then to the latter part of your question, it's really hard to gauge that when we've seen so little of uh, uh, I'm forgetting his name right now. JT, yeah, Daniels. JT Daniels. You know, I remember the last couple games last year, and they lit up the scoreboards with him throwing everywhere. Uh, is it going to be that same type of offense when and if they decide to go with him? I don't know. It's just it's it's too early for me to tell without having seen him play at any point. But right now, I would say that the, the offense is pretty average in my mind.
0: Mm-hmm. And Georgia did run the ball well. On paper, I mean, looking at Zamir White, 14 carries, 105 yards. I mean, that's averaging 7.5 yards per carry. Ended up with a touchdown. James Cook, 10 carries, 46 yards on touchdown. But a lot of those numbers are padded by a big Zamir run um, for a touchdown late in the game. But just from my eye test of watching every snap of the game, and this isn't just the case in this game, but all season, Georgia's offensive line, unlike in past years, they don't, I mean, they win up front, but they don't dominate. They don't blow people off the ball. There's not the five yard carry, then the six yard, then the eight yard carry. Like, it's a lot of, like, opposing defensive fronts have been able to get hands on these running backs. I mean, you talk about yards after contact. Georgia's got to be leading a lot of categories in that because. A, the running backs are pretty good, but B, they actually get contacted like very early on in plays. There's not a whole lot of plays where the first time a running back gets touched, he's four or five, six yards down the field. Like there's no gaping holes. There's no just winning the edge completely. These running backs are having to kind of break some tackles or at least carry a guy for a yard, yard or two to end up making a decent play out of it. So I'm a little, and I'll chalk a little bit of that up to. To an SEC defensive front at the end of the day, I mean, say what you want about Florida and the way they've played this year, sitting at 4-4, four and four, but I don't know too much about their defensive front, but I know about Britton Cox, who plays defensive end for them, because he was a Georgia player two seasons ago. Like, that's that's a, a really good player on that defensive front for them who made some plays in the game. So, yeah, Georgia, I mean, 34-7, to you can't complain about a 34-7 to win, and the only team that could even give Georgia a cl- remotely close run on the way in as they play at Tennessee in a couple of weeks. But I think even that one should expect Georgia to handle that. But so Georgia's not really going to get, not really going to get tested the rest of the way, which part of me worries that going into an SEC championship game, they've just never had to face too much adversity. I mean, basically since that Clemson game was, was about it. So I'm hoping that inevitably at some point this season, they're going to get hit in the mouth and just what, what their response is going to be.
1: Well, let me ask you this then, Uh, you know, I mean, we both agree, I agree, that the Georgia's defense is the best in the country. I mean, it's elite. But let's say they go into a game against a high-scoring, powerful offense like an Alabama or an Ohio State or an Oklahoma. Do you, let's say the defense doesn't perform like it has in recent weeks. Do you trust the Georgia offense to kind of keep up with the offenses that you're going against in that kind of game? I mean, I think
0: it depends on who's playing quarterback. And at this point, I really don't know – I think I'd still prefer JT but it's, dude's missed like 5 games. At this point my main worry about him is just the fact that he hasn't played. So I think I I don't think Georgia I won't say I, don't, I won't say can lose cuz anything can happen. That's why I play the game, you know. Yeah. But I don't really see Georgia losing if the quarterback whoever it is has a good game. So When JT or when Stetson is playing well, yes, I think Georgia could score thirty-five when they have to, if if the quarterback is playing well. But you know, I like going against. You talk about a team like Alabama or Ohio State. I just still like. There's gonna be a a moment where Georgia gives up some points, but I really find it hard to believe that they're ever gonna give up more than about twenty-eight. You know, like because just the most they've given up all year is thirteen. Yeah, like. They're averaging, I think, less than ten points against. Now, a couple of shutouts in there help, but I mean, they shut out this Arkansas offense that we've seen hang fifty on Ole Miss, which again is a horrible, horrible defense. And you know what? Enough about Georgia. I kind of want to I kind of want to talk about Auburn. You don't think you'd ever heard me say yeah. that in this podcast, <laughs> but watched a lot of of the Auburn game. And again, held this Auburn offense that's looked a lot better in the second half of the season Georgia did. So but Auburn moves up to number 12 with a 31-20 home win against Ole Miss. One that I know we talked about at length on the pod last time. Is, it was one that I just couldn't predict. I, I just really didn't have a good feel for who was going to win this game. But I did know that, hey, under the lights at Jordan-Hare, crazy stuff happens. But this didn't have any classic Jordan-Hare wildness. Auburn was just a better team and, and and outplayed them. Um Looking at, at, the, at the stat line, I mean, Bo Nix having a solid game. Again, a guy that I still don't have a ton of respect for on the football field. I'm sure he might be a great guy. I don't know. He kind of lo- He has a very punchable face, though, so maybe he <laughs> is kind of an asshole. But I don't know. Just something about the hair doesn't do it for me. But anyway, they get a big win. Lath, your take as an Auburn fan, what did you think of your Tigers this weekend?
1: Uh, I saw a lot that I liked. And, you know, the game kind of rarely does this happen. The game played out how I'd hoped it would to give us the best chance, you know. The run game was cruising early on we loaded the box and Alabama showed that they couldn't or that Ole Miss couldn't handle that early on so everything went according to the playbook and then the big factor in this was could we slow down the Ole Miss offense enough to be able to keep up with them and you know that was the case they they run the ball a lot more than people think I know people see Ole Miss and they think oh that's a high flying kind of uh, passing offense but really Lane Kiffin gets his start on the ground and they they never really got anything going uh, on the ground so that was an area where I looked at that and think, okay, we're playing really good football right now. Harson's really doing some stuff. And let me, let me just say this while I'm addressing this. I know it's been three weeks. You doubted the Tigers against uh, LSU and Arkansas. It's okay. That could be forgiven at this point. But this is the third week in a row that college game day, every single person on that cast has picked the other uh, team Auburn's playing. Hasn't been a single person pit hit us despite the fact that we beat Arkansas six years in a row, despite the fact this is the third year in a row we beat Ole Miss. So I think, you know, I, I kind of want a little bit more respect. I know we're not one of the elite college football teams right now, but I think that you could give us – you could favor us in some of these games. It's just, that's just my rant on that matter.
0: Yeah. Well, look, I'm, I am I kind of want to give you some respect here because that's, that's a good win. I do think Ole Miss – it was maybe a bit overvalued after the Arkansas win. And honestly, I think they got some confidence points for, at least from the general public, just the way they played against Alabama. I think Because, again, that was prior to them losing to Dick Saint M. But I think Olmus was a little overvalued coming into this game, but I'm like this just kind of is starting to feel a little bit like the classic Auburn trope of a team that really wasn't all that, I mean average at best through the first five, six, seven weeks all of a sudden, once they get to the hardest part of their schedule, start beating some good teams at home. You know, I mean, again, I didn't expect them to beat LSU. They did. Certainly didn't expect them to beat Arkansas, and they did. And then this one, they were actually favored in this game at home, although the three-point home favorite spread suggests that maybe Vegas was thinking that's basically just because they're at home um, is why they're favorites. But at this point, I don't want anything of playing Auburn – I don't want any part of playing Auburn at Jordan-Hare. Now, the question is – can they do it away from home and they're going to have to find a way to do it this week as they travel to Texas A&M and I think we have that in our picks that we're going to make a little bit later but you know at this point people forget about this given that Auburn has two losses and both of them not great i mean losing to Georgia is certainly no you know no scarlet letter on your on your resume there. That's a reference right there. I can't, I can't believe that was living in my head somewhere. That's certainly not a not a splotch on your resume, but they did lose bad against Georgia. And then Penn State has not looked like the best team, but again, lost on the road in that one. But Auburn still controls their own destiny. If they can win out, which does mean winning at A and M and at home against Alabama, Auburn's booking a trip to the SEC championship with that. So I know you're an optimistic Auburn fan at at worst and blindly uh blindly confident in, in occasions. But chances that Auburn that Auburn does that because I don't know what they're gonna do at A and M this week. That I think that's probably the toughest I honestly think that's gonna be the harder result for Auburn to get than even Bama at home because there's just something about that game in Jordan yeah. Hare that that Auburn's gonna get up for. But I just what do you what do you think their chances of, of finding a trip to Atlanta with a with a four and and0 run here to end the season.
1: Uh you know, it's, it's going to come down to quarterback play. And this is a game, of all the past couple weeks, this is the one that I felt the worst uh, about. Just You know, I've talked countless times about the depth of that Ole Miss team talent-wise, but Bo Nix, he notor- he plays notoriously bad on the road uh, aside from that LSU game. That was kind of a, a one-off. So, I mean, his, his completion percentage is like 15% uh, – 15% lower in a way, in road games than compared to home games. So this is going to be a real big telling uh, event for us. If we can get past this roadblock, then you're going to see that blinding enthusiasm continue to grow for me.
0: Well, yeah, because they got at A&M, then home against Mississippi State, which Mississippi State has looked a lot better in the last two weeks too. Yeah, true. But again, at home, then travel to South Carolina who can't you know, push you ever with a feather, so, and then Alabama at home at the end, but what you didn't have at LSU, you do have at AM, which is a home team that's got a lot to play for still, like, AM, if they can win out, just needs Auburn to pull something out against Bama, and then all of a sudden, it's A&M in the SEC championship, so, um, I don't know, as a Georgia fan, who I'm really rooting for to come out of the West, really, I guess probably Bama, since the kind of, the national narrative is that if it's those two teams that meet, both teams go through, or if Georgia were to lose, they would still go through to the playoffs. So, Because I, I don't know if that would still be the case if Auburn did it. I would think so, given that Georgia had beaten Auburn. But that's a whole lot of confusion we don't need here um, on a on a Monday night, weeks and weeks ahead of the college football playoff final rankings. But last thing I want to talk before we switch to the NFL, talking about college football playoff rankings and talking about Alabama. Again, mentioned first playoff rankings coming out on Tuesday, and I've got, I've got an opinion here. Not, I hate, I hate the phrase "hot take" because that's just anybody who ever made a podcast thinks that they have hot takes, which overused term. But I have an opinion here. Wonder if you agree or disagree here, Leith. Making the case for Alabama to not be ranked inside the top four in this in this first ranking here. You know. (laughs) So looking at the the current AP poll, looking at the current AP poll, Georgia 1, obvious. Cincinnati 2, not really sure where they're going to land, but I think they do, I think they're probably going to be in the top four. Oklahoma, undefeated, looked shaky. Michigan State, undefeated, coming off their biggest win of the season. Name me a win that Alabama has that's better than Michigan State, that's better even than Oregon, that's better even than, I think it maybe even throw Cincinnati, I mean, Notre Dame's in the top 10. My point being, Alabama's best win to this point is what? I mean... Lost Texas lost to Texas M. The only the only good team I feel like they played going into that. Um beat Tennessee. But like really looking at, looking now that I've got the uh trying to get the record in front of me. I really should have been more prepared <laughs> for this segment here. But look, basically, is is Florida the best win Alabama has on their schedule? A close win against the Florida team that's now four and four? <sighs> like or is it beating Ole Miss, who now again dropped another game? Is it beating Mississippi State? like, looking at looking across the board at Alabama's schedule, I'm not saying they're not a top-four team eye test-wise. I think they are. But making the case for them not to be in it, they don't have a win that compares even with a Cincinnati or an Oregon or even a Michigan State. I think, you'd, I think a win over Ohio State, which Oregon has, is better than Alabama's got. I think a win over Michigan is better than anything Alabama's got. And I think a win over Notre Dame at this point is better than anything Alabama's got. What you got for me?
1: That's, that is really interesting. And, you know, that's kind of the common trope that people have with Bama is that they don't play anybody. Uh, and, you know, the, the classic response is, oh, it's Bama. They could play somebody, and it's not going to look like they played. But this year, that really hasn't been the case. And, you know, some of these other teams do have more impressive-looking wins. But, you know, I think it is going to come down to the eye test. And also, I mean, there's been games that Ohio State and Oregon have both played in that were closer than they should have been um, early on. Now, they didn't lose, and that may be the ultimate factor, but there were games that they were – I'm just scrolling through the schedule. Uh, I know that 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 Tulsa game was close until really late for Ohio State. Oregon was close with somebody else who who wasn't very early on, and Bama has kind of taken care of everybody else despite or besides the uh, the Florida game and that Texas A&M loss. So, I understand where your logic is and I think if if that were the only thing that they were gauging was quality wins then you would definitely have a case to have Alabama outside of the top 4, but I don't think it's going to end up being the case uh, come tomorrow. And night. I don't
0: I don't either. Like I I think that they're going to be in there, but I'm just saying for the first time since the playoff has been a thing like at this point of the first Cultural Ball playoff coming out, there's a case to be made for why Alabama shouldn't be in it. And looking ahead at their schedule, they're also not only do they not have a great win on their schedule right now, the only one they have a chance at getting is just Auburn at the end of the year. Like they get LSU at home, nobody's going to give a damn if they win that game. They got New Mexico State at home, nobody's going to care about that. They got Arkansas at home, nobody's going to care that, about that at this point in the year with Arkansas being unranked. So, like, that game, that Auburn game for Alabama is must win for a multitude of reasons. One, because they, if they lose Auburn, may have a chance to jump them and go to the SEC championship. But like, that's going to be their Alabama's last chance to get a decent win because again, right now they don't have one. So, just some food for thought for the playoff committee ahead of tomorrow night's rankings. But real quick before we take a break and jump into some soccer, we've already been going. I knew this was going to be a log pod, um, a long pod going into this one, but. Quickly, week eight in the NFL, big, I guess, yeah, upsets, but a lot of the top teams going down. We no longer have an undefeated. It feels it feels a little bit like old news recording this on a Monday when this happened last Thursday night, but Cardinals suffered their first loss of the season. Aaron Rodgers, I don't know if you saw his, his Halloween costume, the haircut yeah. payoff, <laughs> um, but Aaron Rodgers, John Wick, doing it to him in Arizona, top seeded in the AFC Bengals, upset by Mike White in the New York Jets. If you had that you know, on your bingo card, I think you'd be rolling in it right now. Nobody, I didn't, I couldn't hey, have even told you who Mike White was going into that game. Actually, I
1: saw something earlier today. Uh, it was like the Bleacher Report betting. Somebody uh, guessed or somebody bet that Mike White was going to lead the league in passing yards this week. They bet $1,000, uh, and the payoff yeah. is like 125 k as long as Mahomes and uh, Daniel Jones don't throw for over 400 tonight. So there was somebody out there that knew something. <laughs> Yeah, probably Mike White's mom or
0: something, because I about the only person. But anyway, the Jets get a win over them. And real quick, is uh, is Wilson's job in Jeopardy over, over in New York? I mean, that's the best performance the Jets have had all season.
1: You know, it, it, it's 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 interesting because it's not like this is some kind of washed-up backup, you know, 30-, 30, 31-year-old that just had a good week. I mean, Mike White, still a young guy. He's like 25, 26, something around that range. So. It may be, you know, and you hate it for the Jets because you know they're not going to want this because this would be the second uh, QB top pick that just didn't work out for them, if that is the case. I'm not going to go so far as to say it is right now. You've got to see a little bit more from Mike White, but there may be a battle in the coming weeks.
0: Yeah, I don't know what kind of injury Zach Wilson is dealing with, but if I'm the Jets, I'm leaning towards leaning toward starting Mike White again, but... Elsewhere, Chargers, they've kind of cooled off over the past few weeks, but still a team that a few weeks ago looked like potential Super Bowl favorites. They lose at home to the Pats. Um, Justin Herbert not having a good game, throwing a pick six in that one late. That really hurt them. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the Bucs, beaten at at New Orleans by a Simeon. What is his first name, Trevor? Trevor, yeah. yeah, Trevor Simeon led New Orleans Saints thanks to a couple of costly Brady interceptions. Um, Big win for the Saints, certainly one that I didn't think they were going to get. I actually thought about betting on the Bucks to cover the spread in that game. I forget what it was. I think it was like 7.5, but I'm glad I did not. But That win comes at a cost as Jameis Winston, the reason Trevor Simeon had to come in there and save him was Jameis Winston was lost um, to a a what looks like an ACL injury and is likely done for the season. And then uh, another big injury news that developed later um, this afternoon, Derek Henry going down with what could potentially be a season-ending foot injury. So, pose a quick question here to you, Laith, after after a lot of teams dropping some games here. All four of the remaining one-loss teams are in the NFC currently, the Rams, Cardinals, Packers, and Cowboys. Looking ahead to the Super Bowl, if I told you you had to pick one, are you betting that a team from that group wins the Super Bowl versus the field versus the rest of the NFL? Keep in mind some two-loss teams that, again, fall outside of that group Teams like the Bills, Raiders, Ravens, Bengals, Titans, although maybe minus Derrick Henry are a much different team, and then the Buccaneers now with two losses. So if I say the one-loss teams versus the field, Super Bowl odds, which would you pick?
1: Uh, you know, the thing that really gets me stuck here is just the Bills. I think the Bills are such a good team. Um, so, yeah, I, going into that, I think just looking at this, I think the Rams are the best team right now. I agree, and right. you know they just added uh what's his face Line, uh, Von Miller. Von Miller, so
0: well he's he's a big name and he's a dude who won a Super Bowl MVP yeah. I think, or maybe not a Super Bowl MVP, but like was the reason that that Broncos team made it to the to the Super Bowl back when they had Peyton Manning in his final year. But I don't think he's been that player for a few years now. But
1: yeah, that's that's fair. Go on, but uh, I guess what is what is the original question here? Because I'm kind of
0: <laughs> it's. Again, picking, it's kind of like when Tiger Woods was dominating golf. There was actually a lot of bets that real sports books were offering, you know, going into a tournament, picking Tiger Woods versus the rest of the field. Like, you bet on Tiger Woods, he has to win. You bet on the field, any other golfer can win, and you win your bet. So I'm saying. Of the one-loss teams or the field, one-loss teams including the Rams, Cardinals, Packers, Cowboys, and then the best of the rest are Bills, Raiders, Ravens, Bengals, Titans, maybe, and the
1: Buccaneers. If I had to guess, I would say one of those four teams. Really, I think it would be Rams, Cards, or Packers. I'm not as high up on the Cowboys, um, but I mean, I mean, the Bills are going to be the biggest threat. But if I had to say, I would go, I think, with the four.
0: I wouldn't I wouldn't ride off the bucks yet either. I mean, that's not a good looking loss at New Orleans, but Tom Brady has actually struggled against yeah. New Orleans since becoming a Buccaneer. I think that's his, at least his second, if not maybe third, loss to them just in the few seasons that he's been down in the NFC South. But I agree. I think the Rams are still my Super Bowl favorite, so I would pick them to win that. Um, but still, a lot of good teams uh, left in that in that two loss range. All right. Take a quick break, catch our breath, come back with some big soccer news. Some managerial spots coming open in the Premier League, perhaps not the one we thought going into this week. We'll talk about all of that next. All right, welcome back to part two of the OA Days podcast where we cross the pond and talk some international footy. It just so happens that every time we jump back into a big week of soccer, it's always a UCL week, which it is again in this case. But I want to start with rounding up some of the headlines from the top five leagues and starting with my Gunners, couldn't start anywhere else after Aaron Ramsdale, you shit bastard, and there's this reason I'm calling him that in a positive light. With the performance of his life, Arsenal win 2-0 at Leicester, again, a match that I certainly didn't expect Arsenal to win. Maybe I would have taken a draw gladly. But after losing their first three matches of the season to Chelsea, Brentford, and Man City, not necessarily in that order, um, had a goal difference of zero goals scored to nine goals conceded. Since that Manchester City game, in the Premier League alone, Arsenal are five wins, zero losses, and two draws with a 12-4 and goal differential. Gone from bottom of the league to sixth in that span, and actually tied on points with Manchester United, who are currently sitting in fifth. Big part of that, Aaron Ramsdale, that's basically since he started... You know, when, since he came into the lineup, since he replaced Leno as the first-choice goalkeeper. And he had a huge, huge game. I'm not sure exactly how many saves he had in the win over Leicester, but one particularly, probably going to be save of the season. Um, feels a little early to call that, but a big leaping, diving save with his left hand off a free kick um, that I thought all the world was going in. And he actually does really well to get back up and make a kind of double save to keep the rebound out. Um, and I called him a, a shit bastard because... The Leicester fans behind the goal the entire game are giving him a lot of crap and wait, like, you know, like the, uh puto, yeah. like goal kicks that you see a lot in South American things. Well, Leicester had one where they kind of do a similar thing. It's like, ah uh, shit, bastard, yeah, or like whatever as he <laughs> kicks. But, like, as the game is, like, going on, Le- or, uh, Ramsdale, who actually p- distributed the ball phenomenally um, from goal kicks just out of the back in general, like, had a lot of just – worm burner missile low passes that were just like easily controlled, but like reach the strikers. Like usually if a keeper is going to try to distribute it about to the halfway line, they just kind of lift one way into the air, but he was pinging some really nice low balls out there. But basically after a few of these gold kicks, he turns around and sings along with them as they're <laughs> yelling it, which made for a really cool video that I, that I saw on Twitter. So big win for Arsenal. Again, I know you don't keep up too much with the Premier League, but I, I was about to say, have you been as impressed with Arsenal as I have? I don't think anybody is. But just what, what, do you, what have you made of Arsenal's kind of rebound here?
1: You know, I, it, it's interesting because there was a period where Arsenal were kind of you – know, granted, I may be wrong here because I don't watch as much with you, but uh, when I watched Arsenal, it seemed like they were always kind of in a different formation. Not like they didn't know their identity, but it seemed like they were constantly kind of experimenting with different things, whether it was Nicolas Pepe on the right or putting him behind the striker and all sorts of stuff. You know, running this kind of the four four one one is that like kind of a? I feel like I've seen that more often now. Is that kind of the staple of the new style they're running, or what? How would you say about that? I mean, basically, sorry, I got like a a big frog in my throat coming (laughs) right here.
0: Um, Basically, so Lacazette came into uh, the game against Palace and ended up getting a late equalizer. That was that was a big key, and this you know lossless stretch that Arsenal have been going on. And ever since then, both kind of in the league and in the Cups, Arsenal have opted for a two-striker-slash-striker striker and false-nine formation that includes both Aubameyang and Lacazette. But, yeah, basically, it seems like they've kind of figured a little something out in the absence, too, of, of Granit Xhaka, who picked up an injury, going with Thomas Partey, Emil Smith-Rowe, Sammy La and and Saka making up the middle of that midfield. But really, I think where the consistency has been found that did not exist in those first three games and the losses to Brentford, Chelsea, and Man City, are this back line has maintained a lot of consistency in these matches. I mean, Nuno Tavares on the left, um, Gabriel and Ben White through the middle, and then um, the new signing from Japan, well, he hails from Japan, actually came from from Syria, ah, Tomiyasu. This was the same exact back four that started against Aston Villa, which I think had been maybe prior to this game, Arsenal's best performance in the league yet this season, a 3-1 win um, against Villa. So they're really kind of finding some consistency at the back without Kieran Tierney Mm. on the left, mind you as well, who I still think is one of the best players in our squad. He's kind of had a rough start to this season, missed a few games due to injury, but even when he was on the pitch, not in the best form at the moment, which I think is definitely a temporary thing. I don't think people need to be overly concerned about Nuno Tavares coming in and, and taking Tierney's spot, but This is just, for once, an Arsenal signing. And I don't even want to say for once, because they actually nailed a lot of these signings this summer of signings that that were derided by Arsenal fans and other fans alike, but minor signings that did exactly what they were wanting them to do. Nuno Tavares is a perfect example. Brought in not to replace Tierney, but to give cover for a guy that We asked to basically play every league match last season and were really hamstrung when he couldn't play because we had to rely on the likes of Sad Kolasinac because we just didn't have any other left back. So Tavares was brought in to be a guy who could fill in admirably and give Kieran Tierney a break, and it just so happened that the break for Tierney was enforced um, with an injury, but Tavares has come in and played excellently. And then on the right, despite Arsenal having a ton of right backs on the roster still, Um, Tomiyasu has come in and made that position his own as kind of something similar to what you see um, with Byron and Pavard, a bigger, more physically imposing right back who that's kind of not the style you see in modern football as a guy that you think of getting forward with quick pace and passing ability to make some plays happen. But Tomiyasu has been a revelation with his with his heading ability and just overall being a rock solid defender. So I think the success starts with the consistency that they've been able to maintain at the back along with Emil Smith Rowe, having a phenomenal, a phenomenal season as well.
1: Yeah. And just, just looking at the lineup here, I know you mentioned Tierney's out for injury, but Tavares, Lukanga, Tamiyasu and uh, Ramsdale all in the starting lineup. I mean, this is, this has been a year where we've seen those transfers really make an impact where that hasn't always been the case for Arsenal. So probably a lot to look forward to if you're an Arsenal fan, I know you, you like to hear that coming from somebody else. <laughs> Yeah, but
0: games, couple of big games coming up. A trip a trip to United here um in a few weeks will be will be a real first true test, I think, of that. The win against Spurs a few weeks ago was nice, but since then, you know, the likes of Villa, um, Leicester Leicester actually are a really strong side, so that was that was a big win. But talking Manchester United, the Ole Yo Yo <laughs> up, down, up, down. Well it was on another upswing last weekend. Saves his job again with a big 3-0 win against Spurs. That's what Spurs are just here for, man. Here to help struggling <laughs> teams recover. They did it. They did it for Arsenal, and they and they do it for Ole and Manchester United, but looking at, you know, I mentioned the Ole yo-yo, their erratic form. This is their record in all competitions here. Now, granted, this includes some Champions League against a wide array of opponents, again, like teams like Young Boys are in their group as well as Valencia, but In their last, I think this is about 10 games, going back to September 14th, when they lost to young boys in the Champions League, they went loss, 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 win, draw, loss, win, loss, win last weekend against Spurs. Now, focusing more so on the Premier League, they are now currently tied with Arsenal on points, um, but again, have the goal differential that keeps them in fifth. So, again, the Ole calling for the job, that's not a new subject that's been going on for a few weeks now, but they do have a big matchup against Atalanta this week in the Champions League before a big Manchester derby that we're going to make picks on here at the end of this pod this weekend. Where are you at, you know, with with Ole in this job? Like, do you see any way he makes it through the season at this point? Because I just think living off of... of three nil wins in games that granted you always want to i mean spurs i guess are technically a top six side but they're a team that just fired their manager after 10 games at the home of the club i think we could be seeing a make or break week this week for man united
1: yeah i think if there's another big loss Ola's gone and you know I, i've never been real big on uh on ola um you know he's kind of a guy that reminds me of ernesto valverde and that I, I really don't see him kind of taking the reins of a game and making moves that really change things so Look, And especially when, when you're at Manchester United and you see what the pandemic did to a lot of top clubs struggling financially, Manchester United was not one of those clubs. They still made big moves. They spent on players that they needed in the transfer market. You know, there's no excuse for Ola at this point. And I, I just really think, even from, a new, even from a neutral perspective, that I think that he should be performing a lot better than he is right now. And that's why I think that you're right, saying that his job might be on the balance in the coming weeks.
0: Yeah, so... Taking a look at, again, you're right, there weren't a team that was cash-strapped over the summer. They did make some moves, one of those being huge signing of Jaden Sancho that had been a couple years in the making. So far, he's made just three appearances. Um, excuse me, I am looking at Champions League stats there. Sorry, let's see if I can get um, full stats in the Premier League. But he has no goals and no assists. I know that yeah. much um, by uh, by so what he's done so far this season. So looking at United, yeah, 11 appearances, nothing to fill up the stat sheet not even a yellow card so um <laughs> nothing nothing to say for his time at Manchester United so far like, I think it's clear that Ole is not getting the most out of this squad it's one that's definitely I mean say what you will about some of these guys at the back um you know Slabhead and 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 Juan Bissaka and some of these other guys but you know they're definitely not a team that should be getting beaten five nil by Liverpool and I think um I think you're right. If this City game at the weekend isn't close, I, I think we could see his head on the chopping block, especially as they look like they might be missing out on the guy. I think they wanted to replace him, at least the Manchester United fans I know, all were looking towards Antonio Conte coming out of mid-season retirement and, and joining Man United, which is something we talked about on last pod. But now how the tables have turned, Spurs beating United to the firing of their manager as Nuno Espiritu Santo, who kind of made his name by building the Portuguese, you know, contingent over at over at Wolves? He he's fired after just ten matches at Spurs, and hard to blame him for it. I mean, they've been terrible so far this season. Despite actually, I think, you know, still having a relatively decent um, position in the league table. Yeah, they're ninth. I mean, Arsenal have been much worse than that and didn't fire Arteta. But anyway, they now look the favorites to bring in Conte, which. If I'm Antonio Conte, I don't know why you do that. Your best player wants out of there, and nobody else. I I, I, find a hard, I find it hard to believe that they're going to be able to convince too many top players to come, you know, buy into that Spurs side. But just your reaction to what we thought was going to be Conte to United not a week ago, to now it looks like one of their rivals getting him.
1: Yeah, you know, this really makes me question Conte. I'm a little disappointed because, you know, I mean, I I know I'm a the ace, the red side of Milan. But he was in a situation where I guess the only excuse for him leaving was, okay, he's not going to have the funds to be able to make the changes he wants and have the kind of power in the transfer market that he'd like to have. And you see that and you think, okay, uh, that's fair. I can see why you want to leave. If you were to go to a place like Manchester United where that's not a problem. But then you're going to go to Spurs, who have been shown that they do not like to spend money in the transfer market. It takes a lot. They don't give a lot of power to the manager. That's more of a higher-up decision. You're going to go to Spurs, who right now is probably the third best team in London. I know you'll appreciate that point. And then it's a team that, you know, they've struggled. He plays the back three as well. Nuno Santos plays the back three. That The formation really hasn't taken with him. It just doesn't seem like a fit for me. And when I see that Conte is so readily, or at least from what we've heard, that he's readily going to be able to do that, I just I don't know. I question why he would have even left Inter in the first place if those are the reasons that he's leaving.
0: I will say, we talked about this on the pod last week of a quote, and maybe this wasn't so much of a quote, but it came from Fabrizio Romano, who is, you know, his word is gold when it comes <laughs> yeah. to, to rumors and managers and players. But he basically said that Conte had said he he is generally against joining a, a team mid-season because it doesn't allow him the off-season transfer window to, to form a club as he would like, which, again, makes perfect sense. Really hard to to, I mean, basically you would never see like in the NFL or MLB or even NBA, yeah. any manage, any f- sacking of a coach mid season results in the remainder of the season being coached by a temporary manager, not like the guy they want to come in and fix it. So like, I get what he's talking about. And, but he said he was willing to break his rule for a team like Manchester United, which again, makes some sense going to a club where money's no object. They've got an incredibly talented roster, not to mention Cristiano Ronaldo out here banging in goals. So that made sense. But you're telling me you're thinking about breaking your quote-unquote rule for Spurs. Like it's not much of a rule if that's all it takes for you to break it. Like would you have done it for Everton? I mean, they're they got beat down today. They look like they be in the in the mood to fire their manager. So I don't know. I don't know what it'll what it'll take. Conte. I don't know if Tottenham are just pushing out the boat on a salary for him. But yeah, this one doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. But I I don't love it as an Arsenal fan because I do think Conte's a good coach, but. I just don't know what it'll take to get Spurs to become a winning side, um, but from talking about Spurs, who you know aren't even within earshot of the top of the table, after Manchester City and Liverpool stumble in the league, Liverpool um, getting a draw, I think that was against, uh, I think that might have been against Brighton actually, but in um, Man City going down a, and a loss I didn't see coming, losing two 0 to Crystal Palace, who again Arsenal had just drawn two two against. Chelsea now have a bit of breathing room at the top of the table, um, leading the league by three points through ten matches so far. Just a little update there. Um, then kind of want to look over to a couple of other leagues across the continent real fast. Bundesliga tied at the top with Bayern and Dortmund. No surprises there. Um, Leith, give you a few seconds here to give your two cents on Bayern's big response after that wild uh, loss in the Pokal to, to Mönchengladbach.
1: Yeah, you know, just quickly on the loss. byron has been known to have kind of one or two blunders per season. Where I mean, you're not going to be perfect all the time, um, and this one just so happened to be in the Pokal. So frustrating loss. Uh, I think this was kind of the first time we saw the defense struggle a lot this year, and it was uh, Upamakana, who is a guy who's looked ph- phenomenal this <clears throat> excuse me phenomenal this, this far, but. in this game he kind of got bullied and it it really concerns me a little bit you know I'm not too concerned about the league except for the Dortmund matchup because Erling Holland is a guy that he's a big physical presence and he's fast and he he's imposing on these defenders down in the stretch so that might be a matchup that you got to look forward to and say okay we got to do something but the bounce back was kind of expected um it, it was a weaker team so uh I don't take a lot from this other than it was one bad game and hopefully it's flushed. And that's, that's all I could say. Yeah.
0: Well, a team who can't say it's flushed because they're still very much in the shit. Barcelona sack Ronald Koeman after a loss to Rayo Vallecano in midweek. Um, interim manager, whose name I can't pronounce, comes in. And they still proceed to draw 1-1 with Deportivo Alavés on Saturday the Blaugrana currently sit in ninth in La Liga, 9 points off the top. But reportedly, club legend Xavi, the favorite to take the job after plying his trade, I think in Qatar, somewhere in the Middle East for sure. Again, I just feel so sorry for anybody who has to come into that Barca team with any expectations because we've seen how the fortunes or the opinion of a club legend can change when you come in as a manager and can't get it done i.e. Frank Lampard, i.e. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Now, Xavi is, I guess, more comparable to Frank Lampard as a true club legend for Barcelona and a, and a manager that certainly will have the full backing of the fan base when he takes the job. And I just wonder how long it would take that, that positive feeling to fade if, if he can't turn things around. So real quick to you, Does this hire mean anything for you? Does this change anything about Barca,
1: in your opinion? No, I I think this hire really shows the financial strain that Barca's in. You know, I almost see this as kind of a a charity case for for, uh, Xavi. Uh, I don't think that he's going to ask for a big salary. I think that this is really a club that cannot attract the likes of, like, an Antonio Conte because they can't pay him straight up. So I think a lot of young players bringing in a guy – I mean, you would – as much as I like Javi, you wouldn't bring in a guy that has two years of coaching experience in Qatar. I mean, that's just not to a, a type of job like Barca. So I think it's pretty clear that this is kind of a charity case and Barca is just kind of struggling to survive financially.
0: Yeah, it's definitely Barca are not in a position where they can be very picky about their managers. And again, there's probably not too many people who are itching to take that job who are qualified. You know, I don't see Antonio Conte knocking down the door. Um, at Barcelona. So, with that, we do have Barca competing again in the Champions League this week. They're all but already knocked out of their group, but there are some other top matches to keep an eye on as we enter week or, excuse me, match day four of the UCL. Just two games remaining after this one um, in the group stages before the knockout stages will be finalized. We're not yet close enough to the end to kind of have a guess at or foresee potential clinching scenarios, but. Without further ado, we'll get into our top matches of the week and make some picks here in the footballing world of Europe. Starting here first um, in Syria, ah, we haven't really checked in on this league in a couple weeks, but the Milan Derby, the away days Derby here, very tepidly. If I, I doubt either of us will end up even watching this game, but um, I don't know too much about either of these sides at this point of the season. But it's Inter against Milan. I got to pick my team. I'm going two one Inter.
1: Yeah, that was kind of my mindset here. Don't feel confident, but I'm I'm repping the red this week. Two one Milan. No, I don't feel confident either, so. <laughs> at <laughs> no, least, this at could least be we're in agreement there.
0: <laughs> All right. Another Derby, a bigger one that I will try to watch if I can if I can find some time for it Saturday or Sunday morning, not quite sure which day it is, but Manchester City travel to Old Trafford to take on Manchester United in the Manchester Derby. I like a big win here for City. I'm thinking three one.
1: Yeah. I think uh Pep helps orchestrate Ola's demise City get the win 2-0.
0: Although, if Pep is playing the 4-D chess like we were thinking, (laughs) maybe this is one where he just... I don't think he's going to throw the game, but maybe gives United a little nil-nil draw just to keep Ole around. We'll we'll see. Um, Then lastly, really the only game with major UCL group stage implications, both Lille and Sevilla fighting um, for that second spot in, in their group, which is something I don't think either of us expected. As, uh, as a quick look at our UCL projections, um, we both had them coming out of Group G, and at this point, neither of them are in the top two spots in that group. So basically kind of a battle of loser of this game it can officially kiss their hopes goodbye of getting out of this group, but it looks like we both like Sevilla. I've got them winning 2-1 at home.
1: Yeah, <laughs> you know, I almost wanted to go with Lille just because Sevilla always likes to win the, uh, <laughs> the Euros. The Europa League. Yes, they'll do anything they can to get back in it and get another dub, but I think Sevilla is the more talented team, 3-2. Uh, that
0: is a good point. They will eventually find their way in Europa League and win. Of that, I have no doubt. Um, all right, quickly, before we get out of here, flip things back over to the American football side where got some picks to make at last after a week off last week. College football kind of up and down in terms of you know games to watch this week but number 10 Wake Forest at North Carolina and before we tease this pick I had it written in the show notes and I forgot to bring it up while we were talking football but this will kind of give away um, my trivia fact for you but I texted you yesterday and asked you there was one team in the power five who as of last week was the only team in the power five to have never been ranked inside the top 10. Your guess at the time was Vandy. I asked that because that record is now broken. Every single Power Five team has now, at one point in their history, been ranked inside the top ten. Wow. Wake Forest was in fact the last one um, remaining. So you know,
1: my my, they, uh, my second guess is actually going to be Kansas. It's it's hard for me to imagine there was a time that they were in the top ten. Well, I can remember a Kansas. They had this big fat coach. Um,
0: can't remember his name, but he coached at Notre Dame too. I think mm-hmm. at one point there was a time when, like, when he was there, that I think they were kind of decent. Like, there was a there was an early two thousands point where Kansas like, at one point had a decent squad. But anyway, Wake Forest now number ten, they they can score on anybody, and they're going at North Carolina, who can get scored on by anybody. But North Carolina <laughs> two and a half point favorites at home, but I like Wake to win. I got them forty two thirty.
1: Uh, this one, this is one where you would take the over on it, I imagine. Uh, assuming it's not set too high. Uh, I've, I've also got Wake, uh, forty-five twenty-eight. All
0: right, next up, your number 12 Auburn Tigers traveling to number 13 Texas A&M, the Aggies four and a half point favorites at home, and you are yet again neglecting to pick Auburn. <laughs> um, so I'll go ahead and give mine. I think I like A&M in a really close one. I think Kyle Field and the twelfth man has shown already this season what that atmosphere is worth with that win over Alabama. I think Auburn is a strong team, and I know my record picking against Auburn is not good this season. But I just, I'm, I'm bet against Bo on the road until I see him do it. Um, and and so I think you know Vegas is right on the number here with four and a half. I like A and M in a close one, 38-35. But if you're not gonna take a pick, <laughs> Lath, at least give us like some keys to the game or something here.
1: Keys to the game, kind of what I alluded to earlier, is Bo Nix. He's got to have, have the same type of mentality he did against LSU and be able to make some plays out of nothing. Talented team up front. They got all over Bryce Young when they played him. Big game for the O-line as well. So, yeah, you picked against them. I, I want to see the same energy from College Game Day this week. I want to see the A&M across the board, and let's see if that can happen for us.
0: All right, and then lastly, rounding out the college picks, number six Ohio State traveling to Nebraska. Um, I actually have that spread you know the wrong way. Ohio State are 15 point favorites on the road. You know, I'm not super impressed from Ohio State's performance last week, but again, I don't think Nebraska is all that strong. I like 40 to 27 in favor of the Buckeyes.
1: Yeah, Nebraska's looked better this year. You know, they played a close game early on with Oklahoma, so I expect this game to be close. Uh, Ohio State gets back into it slow and ends up pulling ahead later on 38-17. All
0: right, and ahead of Monday night's action tonight, Kansas City and the Giants make some picks for next week. Browns at Bengals. Big battle in the AFC North. Bengals three-point favorites at home. The Browns, I think, were a tough look to lose last week against the Steelers. That's a pretty bad loss, but they had a bunch of chances to win that game and just couldn't get it done. Bengals, on the other hand, coming off of the worst loss in the NFL we've seen so far this season. I... It doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me, but I think I like the Browns outright 24-20 on the road.
1: Yeah, I th- that that's part of the reason why I'm picking the Bengals here. I, I don't see them losing two We expect back especially with the kind of performance last week where you know they're going to want a rebound and the intensity is going to be there. Bengals pull this one out
0: 28-24. Next up, again, Chiefs who are playing tonight. We're making this pick before we see how that goes. Packers travel to Kansas City. Chiefs, two-and-a-half-point favorites at home. Um, against the Packers team that have shown a lot this season. I think they should definitely have Devontae Adams back. Uh, I know this Chiefs team is still really dangerous. There's a reason they are favorites in this game, but I think I like the Packers in a really close one, 31-30.
1: Yeah, Packers just looking really, really good right now, and the Chiefs have just shown they don't have it at the moment. Packers get it done 33-27. Well, that all but guarantees the Chiefs are going to win. <laughs> all right, and then lastly,
0: Titans coming off of – several strong weeks with wins over the Bills, Chiefs, and then doing all they needed to do to get the win last week. But it looks like they will definitely be without Derrick Henry at the very least for this game, if not the rest of the season. They travel to L.A. to take on the white-hot Rams, who are 7.5-point favorites at home. I actually like the Rams to really take care of business in this one. I think they win 32-24.
1: Yeah, uh, best team in the NFL right now, the uh, Rams-Titans team that's going to have a hangover from not having Henry. 38-10, Thirty-eight, ten, big, big win for
0: the Rams. All right, before we send you off into the Monday night, which I realize I say that, but nobody could possibly be listening to this until Tuesday, so I <laughs> should probably quit saying that. Um, but need a Monday night miracle tonight, Lay. Without in getting too into the into the fantasy into the pod here, up twenty-four, and my opponent just has Williams, the the Kansas City running back, so. Just need not a not a huge game from him, and we'll be and we'll be feeling all right. But hopefully, hopefully we get some uh, some of that good good mojo flowing because I've dropped two straight. and Need this one bad.
1: Hey, you're gonna be winning big this week in our league, though. So maybe, maybe you should have led for that. <laughs> uh, I've, I've actually won for the week, so I get to sit down and enjoy the game tonight, which will be a nice change.
0: Nice, nice. Well, I also sprinkled a little bit of action on Kansas City minus ten. So oh. <laughs> if you're into that, folks prayers up would be appreciated